Well, good morning and welcome back to the Mission Viejo Church of Christ. We are so thankful to have you with us here on this Sunday morning. I know that a lot of people are traveling today. Um, the week between Christmas and New Year's is one of the busiest travel times of the year. So if you're traveling, um, we are so glad that you are still able to be with us and thankful for this technology that we have. I hope that you all had a wonderful Christmas um, with your families this year. And I know things looked a little bit different this year and maybe you didn't get to see everybody you would like to see and, and maybe the post office messed up your orders and didn't get your packages there on time. But but what just a great time that we had to really focus on our family without some of the outside distractions. It was actually nice this year not to, uh, to be rushing around quite as much and really be able to focus on spending time together. And it's funny, as you get older, and, and yes, I consider myself getting older, um, it, it's funny when you're younger, you don't really understand this concept of that it's better to give than to receive. And then as you get older and you have kids and you get to see the joy and the excitement on their faces, it's just such a wonderful, indescribable feeling unless you've, you've been a parent and, and you understand what it's like to be able to just give joy to your children. And it, this week, we're going we're gonna to wrap up our Advent series with part three, and we're going to be talking about the birth of Jesus. And I think about the joy that I have in being able to give my kids their, their gifts for Christmas, and I think about the joy that God must have felt when he gave this gift, not only to Mary, but to the entire world. And I can only imagine that he felt that exact same way and that, that same sense of fulfillment and that same sense of pride and that same sense of joy. And I hope that you were able to find that joy this Christmas season as well, even though, again, things just maybe didn't work out the way we wanted to and maybe we didn't get to travel as much as we would have liked to but we still have this amazing gift that we've all been given, and that's the gift of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's what we're gonna focus on today. We're gonna focus on the last piece of our Advent series where we focus on the birth of our Lord and Savior. So if you have your Bibles handy or if you have your Bible app, I wanna encourage you to open up to Luke chapter two, and we're gonna focus the majority of our time today in Luke chapter two, focusing on verses one through 12. So please open up and read with me here in just a moment. Now, we talked about Luke, and I want to just remind you briefly, and we won't spend a lot of time on this, but just remind you that, that Luke was a physician, and that Luke was an investigator, and that Luke really spent time digging into these stories and trying to understand these stories so that he could record his gospel in the most accurate way that he possibly could. And I always think it's fascinating to hear the, the story of the birth of Jesus through Luke's eyes, because Luke was a physician. So he would have understood this process and he would have understood how this worked. So I love the detail that he puts into his account. So let's go ahead and read together, starting in Luke chapter 2, verses 1, as we kind of set the backdrop for the birth story. It says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that census should be taken of the entire Roman world. It says, this was the first census that took place while Quirinus was governor of Syria. Pick up in verse 3. It says, and everyone went to their town to register. It says, so Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea. It says, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house of the line of David. Now here, Luke is giving us this incredible background story. He's explaining to us why that they're traveling, right? He's explaining to us why they had to go to Bethlehem. 
And he's reminding us that we're talking about the line of David. And it's so important that we understand that because we remember way back in the Old Testament, right? Way back in the Old Testament, we were told that the Messiah one day would come from the line of David. So Luke is reminding us, hey, here that prophecy is coming true. Here all those things that we were told of are coming true because we knew that the Savior would be born in Bethlehem and we knew it would be of the line of David. And Luke is reminding us, hey, these things are all falling directly into place. Let's pick up in verse 5 where it says, He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. It says, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. So here we go, right? Here's, here's kind of the climax of this story anyway. It's the beginning of the story of Christianity, but it's kind of the end of this story of the journey and the prophecy. And then we talked the last couple of weeks about what Mary had gone through when Mary had heard from the angel and the different emotions that she went through as she, she kind of went through those emotions of shock and disbelief to then last week we talked about how she went and visited her, her cousin Elizabeth who then gave her this great sense of joy. And, and Mary got so excited she burst out into song. And now we're going to see kind of the climax of this story. So the time is here. The time has come. The thing that they've been planning on and that they've been hoping for is finally coming to fruition. No doubt Mary and Joseph had heard the stories and read the stories of the one day coming Messiah. And here this is all kind of coming to a head. So we see in Luke chapter 2 verse 7. It says, And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. It says she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. I find this so fascinating when we talk about the birth of the Messiah. I want you to think through this with me just for a few minutes. The location of this story is a manger. There wasn't any, even any room at the inn for Mary and Joseph. So the one who has come to save the world is basically going to be born in a barn. Now, I grew up in the Midwest, and there's this saying that goes something to the effect of, what, were you born in a barn if you leave the door open? And maybe some of you can relate to that. But let's think about this just for a moment. Our Lord and Savior was basically born in a barn. And we're going to talk through this a little bit more, and we're going to talk through why that may have been and what some of the implications were. But, but this wasn't something that we didn't know was going to happen. This has been prophesied since way back in the Old Testament. And remember, this is not just a timeline of it that it takes us to read a book. This is a timeline of hundreds and hundreds of years. But look at Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It, he tells us, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. It says, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So all the way back in the book of Isaiah, we've known this is going to happen. And God has known this is going to happen from the very beginning. So that gets my mind to working. Now, see, this is a very familiar story for most of us, maybe even all of us. And it's a story that's told over and over and over again during the Christmas season. Even Charlie Brown Christmas Story uses, I believe, Luke's account of the birth of Jesus but sometimes I think when these stories become so familiar to us, we forget the meaning and the details behind it. 
We forget of the reasoning that things happened the way that they happened because we just kind of gloss over the story because we know this story so well. So today, I want to back up and just take a look at a couple of things. So let's think about this for just a moment. I believe with all my heart and soul that God is all-knowing and that God is all-powerful. And I hope that you believe that too. So why then was Jesus born in a barn and placed in a manger? I mean, let's think about that. Think about those of you who are mothers out there. Uh, think about uh, Jennifer Kramer, who, who we know is pregnant and going to be giving birth soon. What if we were to go to Jennifer and say, Jennifer, would you rather have your baby born in the state-of-the-art hospital on the right-hand side or in a barn like you would on the left-hand side? Now, I don't want to put words in her mouth, but I'm going to assume she's going to go with the one on the right-hand side. Those of you who are mothers and fathers and who, who have gone through this birth scenario, you want to be in the best possible place that you can be, the cleanest with the best doctors that are there to help you out. My wife had a couple of very complicated pregnancies, and we wanted to be at the very best hospital that had the neonatal intensive care unit ready to go, just in case there were additional complications. It turns out there were. We wanted to be in a place with the best possible scenario. And as parents, I think we would all agree that's what we want for our children. So why then did God, in all of his foresight, in all of his wisdom, in all of his power, why was Jesus born in a barn? It can just be mind-boggling to think about this. Because as parents, just like God was, we, that's not what we would choose for our children. But God has known about this for a long time. He's been planning this for a very long time. Yet he chose the one on the left. Now, granted, they didn't have hospitals like this in the time that Jesus was born, but you get the idea. He could have been born in a much better, cleaner, safer, etc. place and not surrounded by hay and animals. And if you've ever been in a barn, you know what barns smell like. It's not probably what we would choose to have our child be born in. But it's all about humility. It's all about humility. See, in this time especially, and we're thinking about the Roman Empire, and we're thinking about the times of these kings and emperors and these high and mighty people, the birth of a king's child would have been a huge deal with lots of pomp and lots of circumstance. And it would have been this big, big thing that everybody came together and celebrated and anticipated. It would be like now when we think of the royal family as probably the closest that we can come to that. But, but when a child is born into the royal family, right, it makes news, it makes headlines, it's baby watch. But that's not the way that Jesus was born. See, there's over 70 passages in the Bible about the importance of humility and the importance of us being humble as Christians, and, and many, many verses about Jesus and his humility. Now, obviously, we're not going to go into 70 verses this morning, but I encourage you to look that up sometime when you have time. Quick Google search for Bible verses about humility, and you'll bring up 70 to 78, somewhere in that neighborhood, verses. But it's so important that we understand this. See, Christ was born into humility. Christ was born in a barn and placed into a manger. Now, if you're not familiar with a manger, if you didn't grow up in the country like I did, a manger would have been basically a feeding trough for animals. It would have been where the farmer comes out and, and you know, dumps the, the grain and the feed, and then the, the animals come up to eat. 
See, Christ was born into humble beginnings. And then he led a humble life. We read a passage that says the, the Son of Man doesn't even have a place to lay his head. When Jesus was in his ministry days, he didn't even have a home. He went and stayed from place to place with people and believers all over the land. He lived humbly. He didn't call attention to himself. He didn't walk around going, I am the Messiah. I am the greatest. Right? We see this all the time from our, from our sports heroes. Right? Sports heroes all the time make comments about how they're the greatest. And they compare themselves to the other great players of their sports. And they call all this attention on themselves. I'm the best. I'm the greatest. Jesus didn't do that. And then today we're focusing on the birth of Jesus, but we know from the story of the end of Jesus' life, he had a very humble death as well. He died on the cross. He died a criminal's death. He died a death where he was mocked and scorned and made fun of. But he died just like he lived and just like he was born in a state of humility, in this humble state of being. And that's just the way that Jesus led his life. And if we're to truly follow Jesus, we have to have that same spirit of humility that Jesus has. Are we practicing that in our everyday lives? This is the man who was going to come and save the world. This is going to be the man who 2,000 years later, 2,020 some years later, we're still telling his story. We're still teaching his story. And hopefully we're still living out his story. Let's go ahead and continue in our text. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And we're going to transition from the birth of Jesus and him being placed in the manger to the angel visiting the shepherds. It says, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. It says, keeping watch over their flocks at night. It says, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. Now, if you were with us two weeks ago when we talked about the angel Gabriel going to see Mary, we talked a lot about the fact that Gabriel was this warrior angel. He probably wasn't floating down, you know, in a ray of light with the white fluffy wings and the harp. He was a warrior angel. And we read throughout the Bible that when angels visited people as messengers of God, the people were generally terrified and generally scared for a couple of reasons, right? Number one, whoa, wait a minute. Why is God sending a messenger to me? What have I done? And two, it probably wasn't the way we think it is today. This was a, these were menacing characters. That, and the, the common theme is that they were scared when these, when these things appeared. So here's these shepherds, and they're out in their field, and they're tending their flocks, Right? And all of a sudden, here comes, this messenger comes down. Now, I don't know if it was Gabriel. We kind of assume it was because Gabriel, throughout the birth story, seems to be the, the, the one kind of doing the, doing the work for God. But, but it doesn't really matter. What we do know is that the angel visited the shepherds, and they were terrified. So why? Why shepherds? Why would the angel go to the shepherds? So, so let's take just a minute. Let's talk about shepherds back in the day of Jesus' time. Shepherds were a lowly position. They were typically, typically uneducated, and they were typically not considered trustworthy witnesses. Matter of fact, in that day, if something had happened and people had to go to a trial, right, or a mediation or something to that effect, 
a shepherd was not even allowed to testify because they were not considered trustworthy and their word was not considered to be important. So they couldn't even testify if they found themselves in that situation. They weren't considered reliable. Now, we know that being a shepherd wasn't an easy job, right? We, we hear that from when we talk about the story of David and Goliath, and David talks about how he used to, to have to kill bears and, and things like that, right, to protect the sheep. But it was considered a lowly position. So why would the angel leave the birth of Jesus and go straight to the shepherds? It doesn't make sense. You would expect him to go tell it to people of importance. You would expect him to go tell this story to people who could then spread the word and that would be trusted, but he didn't. He went directly to the shepherds in the field. It's this whole concept of humility. It's this whole concept of the first being last and the last becoming first. Now, we know that that's a trend, and that's a theme throughout the Bible. We know that that's a theme throughout the Bible, that, that, that the first will be last, and the last will be first. And if you were with us when we talked about Mary's song, the Magnificat, we talked about the fact that the, pride would be, the proud would be brought down. We talked about the rich would be brought down, and that the humble would be exalted. So let's take a look at Matthew chapter 19. We're going to start in verse 27. And this is Jesus and his disciples. And it says, Peter answered him and he says, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? So Peter's saying, hey, we gave up everything for you, Jesus. What are we going to get out of the deal here? And it says, Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, it says, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. We continue in verse 29, we read, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and they will inherit eternal life. It says, but many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. So here we see this concept again, and now we start to get an idea of why the angel went to the shepherds. He went to the people who had nothing to prove and the people who had nothing to gain. Because just like throughout Jesus' life on earth, and just like throughout Jesus' ministry, he ministered to the people that needed him the most. And this was the angel's way of saying, look, The shepherds may be lowly people, but they need Jesus too. And they should be excited about the good news of Jesus Christ. So the angel went directly to the shepherds. And I love that so much. Nothing to gain by telling the shepherds, but they were the first people to hear about the birth of Jesus. So before Jesus even started his ministry, he was taking care of the people that need him the most. Let's go ahead and continue. And this is kind of the focus, right? This is the focus of the Christmas season. And this is the focus of our, of our lesson here today in Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. It says, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great 
joy for all the people. It says, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. The good news. This is the good news. This is, this is the exciting part. This is the good news that prophecy has been fulfilled. This is the good news that God has sent his one and only son to walk on the earth, to die for our sins, so that we could be back into a right relationship with God. Because see, prior to, to God sending his son, right, we have continued to put a rift between us and God over and over and over again. It starts all the way back with the Israelites. All the way back to the Israelites, right? When Moses went up to the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, what did the Israelites do? They built a calf. They built a golden calf and started worshiping him to kind of to hedge their bets, right? But they went directly against what God had told them to do. You can go all the way back to the garden. Go all the way back to the garden. There was one tree they weren't supposed to eat from, and they did. And that caused a rift between man and God. Think about that just for a second, a rift between man and God. Because think about the garden. The garden was designed as this perfect place, and he put Adam and Eve there to take care of this perfect place that he had created. And, and think about that story. God used to walk with them. He used to literally walk with them in the garden. Think about that. That was the relationship that he was designed to have with us was a personal relationship where he actually walked with them and talked with them. But we screwed that up. And we continued to mess that up over and over and over again throughout history until God finally said, look, I'm going to fix this. And this is where that term, the good news, and we talk about this a lot, the good news of Jesus Christ. And this is why it's so important to us. Because if he hadn't sent his son, then we wouldn't have that chance to be in the right relationship with God and spend eternity in heaven. So I love this verse, the good news. Don't be afraid, I bring good news of great joy. See, this Christmas season, you hear the word joy thrown around a lot. And we talk about what gives us joy and what brings us joy. And we talk about the Christmas story. And even people who aren't Christians celebrate Christmas and talk about the birth of Jesus Christ. That's where our joy comes from. See, that's where we can find joy despite our circumstances, just like Paul did. It doesn't matter the gifts that are under the tree. Because that's not what it's about. We've already been given the greatest gift that we could have ever been given. And that's the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, coming to earth to walk as a man to die for our sins. That's where joy is. That's where we get our joy. And we can't let the things that are happening around us and the things that are going on in this world steal that joy or make us forget about that joy. Because see, that's exactly what the enemy wants. He wants you to get distracted. He wants you to get distracted by a pandemic and he wants you to get distracted by an election and he wants you to get distracted by the fact that you didn't get to do what maybe you wanted to do at Christmas time and he wants to take that joy from you so that you'll stop focusing on Jesus. 
But see, that's where we can't let that happen. We've got to say, yeah, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Yep, I had to cancel my trip. But I still have the greatest gift that I could ever be given. And that's where my joy is. That's where our joy is. Let's finish off this passage in Luke chapter 2, verse 12. It says, there will be a sign. uh, Excuse me, this will be a sign to you. It says, you will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. This year, for the first time in 600 and something years, don't quote me on that, the star of David could be seen in the sky where the two planets lined up this year. You had to have a telescope or binoculars or whatever to see that. But this is that same sign that they saw so many years ago. And we got to see it for the first time. And it just takes you back. It takes you back, right, to to that scene when Jesus was born and this this beautiful star appeared. And we know the rest of the story where where the wise men were able to follow that star and, and find the baby Jesus. We may not have that star to follow, to find Jesus, but we've got the Bible. The Bible is what points us back to Jesus, just like the star pointed the wise men and the shepherds to where Jesus was. We have the Bible to do the same thing. If we'll spend time in it, if we'll read it, if we'll study it. It's often been said that the Bible is the place where heaven and earth meet, and I believe that. And it's our roadmap, and it's our guidebook, and it's a love story, and it's so much more than that. But if we'll just spend time in it, it'll point us to Jesus just like the star did. It'll point us there, but we have to look for it. What if? What if we focused on Jesus all year round? And I hope and pray that as Christians we do that. I really, truly do. But what if we helped others to focus on Jesus other than just at Christmas time? Because Christmas time is the one time of the year, I shouldn't say that, one of the two times a year, right? Christmas and Easter are the two times a year that the whole world focuses on Jesus. But what if we not only kept our focus on him year-round, but we helped others to focus on him year-round as well? What kind of difference could we make in sharing that good news? What if we had that same faith that Mary and Joseph had? And we talked about that the last couple of weeks, of, of all the emotions that had to be going through their minds and just all of the crazy things that were about to happen with them and that their life was going to change in ways they could have never imagined. But they still had faith. Mary said, hey, I'm your servant. Use me as you will. And what if we just obeyed God without question? See, there's this really dangerous word, and it's but. And what I mean by that is sometimes we, see, we say, I know the Bible says this, but I need to do that. Or I know that the Bible teaches me to love my neighbor no matter what, but they don't understand what a jerk he is. See, we got to eliminate that. we, we got to keep putting qualifications on what the Bible teaches. Mary didn't say, yes, Lord, I'll do what you want me to do, but I want to do this. When Jesus was calling his disciples, 
We all know the story, right? Where he says, hey, give up everything, come follow me. And the guy says, oh, Jesus would love to do that, but I've got some things I need to take care of first. And Jesus says, no, 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 that's not the way it works. See, we don't get to pick and choose. We need to obey what the Bible says, regardless of what we feel about it. And that's one of the dangers that, that we've gotten into as a society, right? As we've taken the Bible and said, well, I know it says this, but things are different now, so we're going to do this. And that's why we have so many different denominations and we have so many different religions, right? Because we want to pick and we want to choose and we want to grab this and we want to grab that and we're going to build our theology on that, but ignore this. What if, just like Mary and Joseph, just followed God, what if we did the same thing? I want to encourage you to think about those things. Do we have that same faith? Do we focus on Jesus year-round? And are we following God with everything we have? The things I want you to remember from today and from this story are we've got to live a humble life just like Jesus did. Because in the big picture of things, no matter what we do, no matter how much we give, no matter how amazing we think we are, Jesus is more amazing and will always give more. We've got to find our hope in the Messiah. And we've got to find our joy in Jesus Christ. Because what happens is, when we lose that joy, when we lose that focus on Jesus, that's when all these other things start to creep in. Because see, if we fill our hearts and our minds with Jesus, there's not room for all that other stuff. There's not room to be worried about all these other things that are going on in the world when we are focusing on the joy that we have in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In just a moment, we're going to transition into a time of singing, but I want to just remind you that as we get ready to start a new year, what a great time to get right with Jesus if you haven't already done so. Maybe you've never had the opportunity to be baptized for the remission of your sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What better way to start the new year than as a baptized believer and follower of Jesus? Or maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and you've just lost sight of what our joy looks like and where our joy comes from. We would love to talk to you. We'd love to pray with you and for you. If we can help you in any way, I want to encourage you to reach out, Aaron at mvchurch.org or office at mvchurch.org. And if we can help you in any way to get you back in that right relationship with Jesus Christ, we would love to assist you with that. So I want to invite you, wherever you may be, to go ahead and stand, and let's sing together to our amazing God. Lord, reign in me, reign in your power over all my dreams, in my darkest hour. Once again, we want to thank you so much for being with us here today as we wrapped up our Advent series. Again, I hope that you all had a fantastic Christmas. And as we look into the new year, what a great opportunity for us to make some resolutions that we can stick with. And that's to be better, closer followers of Jesus Christ. As we get ready to move into the new year, we're going to transition into a new series called Made to Worship. And that will take us through uh, the month of January. And we're going to be focusing on what 
does worship mean? Who do we worship and should we worship? How do we worship? And when and where do we worship? It's going to be a great series that I think is going to allow us to really focus on what worship means to us as we move into this new year. So I hope you'll be able to join us next week at 1015 for children's worship, at 1030 for our morning worship services. Would you please join me in a word of closing prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this opportunity that we had to just really focus in on the birth of your son and that amazing gift that you've given us. As we get ready to transition into a new year, Heavenly Father, we pray that you will just continue to watch over us, continue to bless us. And we just pray that we will continue to focus on the joy that comes from your son, not just at Christmas time but throughout the entire year. Heavenly Father, as we get ready to go into this new year full of uncertainty, we pray that you will just continue to be with us, and we pray that we'll just continue to look to you for answers. Again, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for that amazing gift that you've given us. We thank you for sending your son so we might have that chance of an everlasting life with you. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. Well, again, I want to wish you all a happy and safe New Year's, and we'll see you next week. Thank you. Hear the holy roar of God resound. Hear the holy roar of God resound. Watch the waters part before us now. Watch the waters part before us now. Come and see what he has done for us. Tell the world of his great love. Our God is a God who saves. Our God is a God who Saints, let God arise, let God arise. Our God reigns now and forever, He reigns now and forever. Arise, let God arise. Our God reigns now and forever, He reigns now and forever. His enemies will run for sure. His enemies will run for sure. The church will stand, she will endure. The church will stand, she will endure. He holds the keys of life, our Lord. Death has no sting, no final word. Our God is a God.